like we've ruined so many other things before us. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, so was I supposed to wait for it? Yes. Hello and welcome to episode 96 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for, well, you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott, and this weekly podcast serves as my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my career from techie to CMO, and hopefully share with you some marketing street knowledge that my guests and I have picked up along the way. Come say hello, we are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm recording this on Friday the 8th of January. If you missed last week's show, Happy New Year! I hope you are well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. Back to the usual format after the holidays this week, Jeff Clark is back. I chat with strategy consultant, speaker and author Stan Bernard about his book, Brands Don't Win, and finish off on a Friday evening with Robert Rose in the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Good news, Jeff Clark fans. He's back. My chum, former research director at Serious Decisions Forrester and principal strategic advisory at Rockstar CMO has returned from his vacation for an authentic chat about empathy and takes on the tough job of choosing this week's track. Welcome back, Jeff Clark, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I am doing well. Thank you for calling me after I've been away for a month. (laughs) (laughs) You're very welcome, mate. I'm sure that many of the listeners have missed Jeff. (laughs) Well, you know, send the cards and letters to, uh, uh, I I shouldn't give my home address. (laughs) Send them to Rockstar CMO. Yeah, you should. And you can find us on all the best social media platforms. Absolutely. And some rubbish ones too. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, and how was your break? Was it good? Did you enjoy yourself? Absolutely. It was awesome. You know, just yeah. uh, was with family away in uh, Norway. Mm. And because um, one of my family members just bolted to Norway five years ago. So nice. we had to go get him and, uh, and have a new grandson to hang out with. And um, yeah, it was uh was awesome. And of course, there was lots of snow there. Yeah. Of which here in Massachusetts, there is none. So. Yeah. So you had a perfect white Christmas. <laughs> yes. That should be our theme song for the end of this, per- this section. But no, no, I think it'll probably be something I think, different. <laughs> isn't that bad luck if we play white Christmas uh, at the oh, end yeah, of January? 
Yeah. I mean, the middle of, I mean, the first week in January. When is this going up? Yes. No, it, today is, uh, no, this is due to, for, for airing on, uh, I can't do the math, but we're recording this on Tuesday, the 4th of January. So it's Happy New Year to you, Jeff. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> May 2022 be better than 2021 or 2020 yes. or 19. <laughs> <laughs> May it just be better. Um, on on that note of uh, what we saw in 2021, I wanted to ask you a question because uh, we um, normally we're very well prepared, aren't we, on what we're going to talk about? Um, but um, but I thought I'd spring something on you because something I've been thinking about, which is what were the big takeaways from 2021? Um, for me, and I'm worried about this because we marketers are banging on at the moment about empathy and authenticity and almost see it everywhere. Do you think that we are going to ruin them as marketers, ruin those words like we've ruined so many other things before us? Yes. Uh, <laughs> oh, so was I supposed to wait for it? Yes. You're supposed to wait for me saying, what say you, Jeff? <laughs> Have you forgotten the format of this show? I have, <laughs> but um, but no, it was just such an easy answer. But uh, yeah. I guess we should—I don't know—we should probably explain or talk about yeah. that. Yeah. So, what's uh, what's your view then? Because on, on both on both counts, like, so empathy for me, uh, I think it's a great—I think it's a great motivation for marketers. It's something, but it's something we've talked about on the show, but we've never used the word empathy, have we? I mean, we were just chatting just before me pressing record, and it's something we talk about all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I think so. So part of this is like just the misuse of the of the word, um, mm -hmm. because I think that um, you know if you just if you think of it as a definition, and and um, you know everyone can look the definition up on the dictionary or dictionary.com, but it's like yeah. you've got sympathy, so you can you can you can understand what somebody's going through and be sympathetic for mm -hmm. them. To have empathy is taking it up another notch right. or more than another notch yeah. because it's like you have a lived experience that that some other person you're being empathetic with has a lived experience. It's sort of like, you yeah. know, I don't know, you could say, you know, my mother died of a certain disease. Oh, your yeah. mother just died of that disease. Now I can have empathy with you because there's, yeah. there's a real strong connection. And so yeah. to, to over, to basically over promise something because a marketer, mm -hmm. particularly through all of the channels we have to work with, I mean, you're, you're, you're divorced, not divorced, or um, you're separate from your, you know, the listeners or, who, or whoever is receiving the message. And it's just, mm -hmm. it's impossible to have that type of connection with them. It's even yeah. hard for, I mean, I think sometimes there's, you know, you have a really good salesperson who may have been somebody who came out of a field and they've experienced things and they're selling yeah. to people who are experiencing those same things. They probably have a better chance of having, you know, empathy for the buyer than, yeah. than the marketer does. And so yeah. it's just, it's, it's, it's wasting, it's, it's basically wasting time in your marketing. If you're, if you're trying yeah. to be, if you're trying to be empathetic. Uh, but, but don't you think that they're, I mean, okay. So technically speaking, the word is being used completely wrongly, but don't you think though, that this is at the heart of marketing really. And, and as always has been, and the fact that the pandemic has arisen and everybody's now thinking about, they need to be empathetic or need to have empathy. Actually, what were you doing before? You know, like, aren't yeah, yeah, we, yeah. you know, isn't, isn't the whole point of what we're doing is to be in the shoes of our, of our marketers, of our audience and our, and our consumer 
and understand and understand them better. I mean, we talked about that quite a lot this year. I think this past year, I've, if we counted the number of times, you know, that I've yeah. talked or you talked about um, understanding the customer's need yeah. as being the core of what you need to do in your messaging, or, you know, yeah. in creating your messaging, yeah. then um, it, it, absolutely. It's like, that's, that's the, the due diligence that the marketer needs to do so that they can have a, you know, conversation with a, with a potential buyer that is actually yeah. meaningful. So talking about being meaningful to the buyer is, mm-hmm. I mean, that's certainly within the grasp of the marketer. Um, yeah. And so I totally agree with you. It's like, if we weren't trying to empathy would is maybe misusing it, but if we weren't trying to get to that point where we understand the yeah. buyer yeah. and how to communicate in their language. Um, and so when you throw around terms, you know, it's like this, if if I if I say I'm being empathetic, it's likely that I'm not actually being empathetic. <laughs> it's like I'm just saying that yeah. because I, that's what I want you to think I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and that's also, I mean, that that's um, also the truth about the other key buzzword of 2021, which is authentic, isn't it? Is yes. that you can't yes. describe yourself as authentic? Authentic, correct? Yeah, right. It's um. If I'll, I'll re, I guess I'll repeat it with a different word. If you're if you're trying to if you're saying something as authentic, it likely is not. And and yeah. it's, um, uh, you know, it's kind of like well, what I don't know. It's like what are you really grasping for? If, if it mm-hmm. isn't just about communicating to the customer in terms about what they're trying to accomplish and what their needs yeah. are, then. You know, I mean, that is again, that is that is your your attempt to strive to be authentic. Yeah. But to put these things in into buzzwords and to start to label what you're doing as that is, um, it's mm. you know really is kind of disingenuous. And and I think so that's one of the things. You know, one of the things we were talking before before we got on the air was that you know both you and I have been involved in these you know, campaigns where you, you latch onto the buzzword customer experience, customer centricity. I worked for a couple of companies where it was all about agility Mm -hmm. and, and it's like, and it's not that, that in some cases those words are, um, are wrong. It's just that if you latch onto the buzzword and then you go to the, you know, you go to the trade show or you're, yeah. you're seeing your advertising, uh, you know, your online advertising. And it's like, oh my gosh, that company is using the same term we're using. Yes. I mean, I remember being when I was at uh, Progress Software and we were yeah. like, we did all these internal work on coming up with new messaging. And then we saw Microsoft use the exact same messaging and they yeah. were like one of the competitors, you know, with their .NET platform. And I was just yeah. like, how did they do that? Well, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it, it's like, we were all trying to, glom onto the same thought leadership concept yeah. Yeah. at the same time. It's not like they were reading. I'm sure they were not, uh, they didn't have moles in our parking department. <laughs> and we're like sending all good ideas. Uh, that, is, that, that is such a good point. I mean, it kind of drifts away a little bit from what we were supposed to be talking about, but how many times have I been in a situation where the C-suite have genuinely believed that a competitor has come along, just cut and pasted their website and, and used it. And whenever we say anything, they say the same thing. 
Sometimes that's because we're all operating in the same goldfish bowl, right? <laughs> and we're being influenced by the same people. The we're listening chamber. to the same analysts. We're listening to the same group same of customers. Podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> same podcast, yeah. And so that's why we come up with very similar messaging to one another because we're in the same category being influenced by the same thing. It's not that. But then again, there is a lot of that, though, isn't it? I mean, uh, we both uh, worked for a, a vendor that, that where some of the leadership were obsessed with um, – Adobe. I wasn't going to name anybody, but um, and 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 everything they did, it was like, well, you know, it was almost like any decision was like, well, what would Adobe do? And it's like, then you're just chasing their tail lights. So I think, and, and then particularly when you realize that, I mean, Adobe was a was it probably still is a great marketing machine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely still is. Um, and it's but it's like, but you don't do exactly what. No. Adobe does so. Therefore, yeah. you shouldn't be talking like Adobe, or you, or, or you shouldn't be using them as yeah, a, yeah. you know, as a, um, uh, as a model. As a matter yeah. of fact, one of the things, one of the things we actually, when when I was at Progress, this is a long time ago. So therefore, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm not giving away any trade secrets. But we did this thing. Uh, one of my colleagues had read this book called um, Eating the Big Fish. Mm -hmm. And it was all about being a, a uh, well, not a challenger brand, because that's a different, uh, kind of a different yeah. philosophy, if you will. But it was, yeah. it was, um, no, actually, they, they used the term challenger brand. It's like, who's, the, yeah. who are the big gorillas in the market? Yeah. What, how do they talk? Yeah. Now, if you figure out what your, if you truly figure out what your differentiators are and what yeah. is, what you do that is unique, that, um, that appeals yeah. to the, the customer, still you're trying yeah. to like focus on the need. Then yeah. that's the direction you go, and you yeah. don't you don't go into um, mimicking um, yes. what the big guys do because then yeah, they'll yeah. be like, "Well, you're just the little version of uh, Oracle. Yeah, yeah. You're just yeah. the little version of Microsoft. So why do I? Yeah. Why would I do business? Well, with that's you? well, that's if you register at all, right? Because what the buyer is trying to do is they're looking for difference, and the the challenge. I mean, I was just writing a piece about this. I haven't published yet, but one of the challenges is going to be trust, isn't it? Because if you um, if you look exactly the same to a vendor they've heard of, then where are they going to go? They're going to go with the one they trust. The, yeah. And, and, and the, the one they trust is almost certainly going to be the one with the bigger marketing budget and the bigger yeah. organization. Yeah. So you, so I think then this, there's something in this authenticity business then, isn't it? Because that is the, that's going to be the difference between you and the big guys, isn't it? Is that, is that you need to deliver an authentic message of being you and not being them. Yes. And I think that's where, you know, as we were saying, it's like, if you, if you, you can't talk about yourself as being empathetic True. or authentic. authentic as you strive to be those things, yes. you'll be a better marketer. Yes. Um, but it's just, you know, it's just the usual thing where you can't say, Oh, go look at me. I'm yes. you know, whatever. If you spend all the time talking about yourself, yes, you're not talking about the customer and what yes. they want. Well, I like, and um, it's only a short segment this week, but I, I like that. I think that's a good place to end because I think that your statement there is if you strive to be empathetic and authentic, you'll be a better marketer, which kind of underlines these two hot words from 2021. Probably pretty good to lead us into 2022. Yeah. Excellent. Let's make a New Year's resolution to be more empathetic right. and authentic and All right. greater agility and <laughs> right. in now, 2022. 
Now, it's not often that I also remember this, the um, structure of the show. So now, <laughs> Jeff, do you have a song for us this week? I do. And it is, unfortunately, or fortunately, we're, we're going way back. We're going mm-hmm. to the way back machine. Um, yes. But on the other hand, you know, the, the writers of this song were just, I mean, they just finished their tour, the Rolling Stones, which yeah. boggles my mind. Yeah. They're still playing. But satisfaction, um, I just you know it's a it's a great song that kind of pokes fun at marketing messages. You know, it's like when a, I'm driving my car and a man comes on the radio telling me more and more about how use some useless information is supposed to fire my imagination. <laughs> I'm not getting satisfaction, so markers do not fall into that trap. Well, from and, the wisdom of Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. Yeah, and when you look at the lyrics, there it is a it is it's got to be a classic marketing song. It's fantastic. So there was it was always going to be on the show at some point. So we'll play out with at Rolling Stones. Can't get no satisfaction. Well, last week we had the Beatles, so we're going through some classics here, uh, suggested by Jason Falls. So that was uh, that was pretty cool. We are doing the classics. I, I, so uh, that, that's pretty soon we'll be going back to Beethoven and Bach. <laughs> 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 all right then jeff and uh when and welcome back to the show and uh welcome back to america and <laughs> and if people spin the dial on the imps webs mate where are they going to find you uh, you're going to find me in rockstar cmo advisors as well as on linkedin that's splendid thank you very much jeff and will i see you next week sure absolutely <laughs> i look forward to it cheers mate Thank you, Jeff. That was, of course, I Can't Get No Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones from 1965. I muck about with Jeff, but as you will often hear, he's worked with some great companies and this experience makes him an excellent strategic advisor. If you'd like to chat with Jeff, get in touch. Hello at rockstarcmo.com. On to our guest, we have a doctor in the house. Stan Bernard, MD, MBA, is an internationally recognised, award-winning, global competition consultant, keynote speaker and best-selling author. He is the president of Bernard Associates, LLC, and the creator of the Transcender System. A former senior fellow at the Wharton School of Business, Dr Bernard has been a consultant to leading businesses around the world for nearly four decades, working with more than 150 companies across six continents. His book, which we'll be discussing in a moment, Brands Don't Win, was named the number one business book of 2021 by Firebird. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome Stan to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? Doing awesome. Great to talk to you. That's splendid. And where am I talking to you from today, Stan? I'm in Bethesda, Maryland, just outside Washington, D.C. Nice. I know it quite well because I, I used to work down there. I, I used to live uh, two times in uh, the D.C. area. 
uh, once, oh, right. I, yeah, once when I first uh, got married many years ago, uh, we lived uh, out in Falls Church in Virginia and I was mm-hmm. uh, working in Maryland. And then most recently, uh, I was based down in D.C. And, oh. and, were, and lived out in Maryland. So I did the opposite. Very nice. And I think there's a, is there a Capitol Grill in Bethesda where I've, I drank with my boss a number of times. <laughs> yeah, the Capitol Grill is a popular place here. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I was doing my research, I was like, oh, yes. I definitely know Bethesda, so a beautiful part of the world. Thank you very much, Stan, for your time. So uh, for people that, uh, I mean, now we've learned a bit about Bethesda, but people that don't know you as much as I do, Stan, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Ian. Um, and again, thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, yeah, I have a, uh, I've had a circuitous route to becoming <laughs> a, a marketer. Um, I actually had planned to become a practicing surgeon. My father was a surgeon, wow. went to medical school um, at Baylor College of Medicine. And in my third year, did surgery rotation and realized, you know what? I'm not really that into the surgery aspects. It's the same gallbladder, same appendix, you know, oh, wow. over, and over and over again. <laughs> um, and so I started doing some uh, actually competitive strategy consulting while I was in med school. Mm-hmm. I had never actually read a marketing book, never taken a business course of any type, but I just, I don't know, it just seemed to come natural to me. So I started working with some local service businesses and uh, and started doing competitive strategy consulting for them and then realized I really prefer strategy over surgery. Yeah. So I went ahead, finished up, got my license as an MD, general practitioner, yeah. and then uh, went on then to go to business school at the Wharton School of Business, where I got my MBA in marketing and healthcare management. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked at uh, Bristol-Myers Squibb, a uh, brand company, obviously, that many people know, for yeah. six years. I had six different jobs. It was great. <laughs> it gave me you know, totally, totally different perspectives and mm-hmm. these different functions I had. And then from there, I went to work or A.T. Kearney doing consulting as a principal mm-hmm. and um, and then realized I really wanted to have my own business. I was much more of an entrepreneurial kind of guy. Yeah. And so I started my firm, Bernard Associates, back in 1999. Yeah. So for over 20 years, we've been in the business of helping clients win. We do that with our Transcender system, which we'll, mm-hmm. I'm sure, talk about later. Yeah. So um, and in addition to my business. I actually also was a senior fellow at the Wharton School of Business. I started two courses, two graduate courses there. I taught marketing for 14 years. To wow. Wow. That's, that's impressive. I think you've answered about three of my questions that I was going to ask about your background there. That's excellent. Um, and um, I think the first time, I mean, we've had marketers on the show from various different backgrounds. Uh, some of them have even started off as marketers. Um, but I think you're the first medical man that I've had on the show that started, <laughs> started uh, his career there. So that's, that's interesting uh, uh, for you. So do you practice medicine at all now? Or is it just all marketing? No, I don't. I don't practice. And, uh, you know, but it's but the medical background has helped me immensely in my competitive strategy and marketing work. So I think uh, first and foremost, it's given me a healthy dose of skepticism. Yeah. You know, as a physician, we're trained not to make assumptions. You know, you make assumptions in in medicine and people can get hurt or even Mm. die. So, for instance, I was taught do not assume that the diagnosis that uh, some other doctor came up with or the patient comes in with is the correct diagnosis. So mm-hmm. um, it helped me a lot. Um, like when I was first starting at Bristol-Myers Squibb as a product manager, when I first had my job as a product manager in 1990 at Bristol-Myers Squibb, um, I came in and my 
marketing team uh, basically said the advertising agency has our strategy already laid out and they're going to present it to us. And I'm like, wait a minute. I thought we're the product managers. I thought we're in charge of the strategy. Um, what do you mean by this? And they're like, oh, well, this is how it works here. And I'm mm -hmm. like, well, I thought we come up with a strategy. And they said, don't mm -hmm. worry. They've already figured out all the branding, all the brand positioning, mm -hmm. brand this, brand that. And I'm like, well, what if we decide not to win with branding? Yeah. And I heard basically crickets. <laughs> they they had the deer in the headlights look. Like, mm -hmm. what Stan are you talking about? Mm -hmm. I mean, don't you realize the only way to compete is with branding? Yeah. And that was an aha moment for me. Yeah. That's when I realized, oh my gosh, everybody just assumes the only way to compete in business is with branding. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that really set me off on a course to find, quite frankly, a better alternative to competing with branding. And that's how I came up with ultimately my transcender winning system. Yeah, no, I love and um yeah, I mean, back, a lot of people make that association, don't they? You just think marketing is about brand and there's so much more to it. And so I think that that gets us on right on to uh, your book. Uh, you recently published Brands Don't Win, How Transcenders Change the Game. And you talk about traditional and transcender brands as you did just then. So what's the difference between what's what makes a transcender brand different? Yeah. So the the simple difference between what I call the traditionalist branding mm -hmm. model, competitive yeah. model, and the transcender agenda-driven mm -hmm. winning system model is that in the transcender model, it's all about winning. Right. If you want to win, then transcend. If you just want to compete, then brand. Because <laughs> pretty much everybody well, yeah. is, is playing the branding game. I mean, yeah. virtually every company, whether they're a product, technology, service, whether it's B2B, B2C, you name mm -hmm. it, around the world, yeah, virtually every company plays the same game. It's like playing brand checkers, mm -hmm. right? And you know, it's tough to win at checkers when everybody knows the game so well, yeah, right? So the biggest difference is that, uh, you know, transcending is all about winning, branding is all about competing, but I think the second biggest difference is how these companies go about it. Yeah. Right. So let's look at the traditional branding model that everybody's familiar with. And I'll make it simple. Um, the way these companies compete is with a product playbook, classic yeah. product playbook. Basically, first of all, they try to win by differentiating their brand. They create a brand and then they try to differentiate it based on slightly better features or benefits. Mm hmm. They use lots of advertising promotions, sales yeah. reps, etc. It's very much like a uh, military campaign. You try to overwhelm your yeah. competition with, you know, more resources, uh, you know, more messaging, more advertising, more promotions, more money, yeah. etc. And so you have just this constant stream of, of, you know, again, like a military campaign, just yeah. shooting out messages in all different, you know, media outlets, 360, etc. And the other big difference there is, you know, in the, in the traditional system, we do a lot of market research to say, you know, how can we make our products slightly better than our competitors? Yeah. Right. Well, that is the old model. Right. It's, really, it's very old at this point. <laughs> the transcender system, on the other hand, is all about using a political playbook. Right. Let me explain what I mean by that. 
if you want to win in the transcender world that we've moved into, so the transcender world you can think of as the round world and the traditionalist world is the flat world. <laughs> in the transcender world, you don't try to differentiate your brand. There's simply too many brands on the market. There's too many wow. messages. Yeah. You know, the average person gets anywhere from six to 10,000 yeah. messages a day, promotional messages. And you're now competing with the internet. You're competing with potentially not just a few local or regional products. You're competing with potentially thousands of products. Mm. Around, right. So, so you can't win by differentiating your brand, particularly when you only have a slightly better product. So what do you do? You basically use a political playbook of your transcender. By that, I mean, you compete the same way politicians do. Right. So let me explain what I mean by that. And I'll take the example from U.S. presidential politics because it's probably the clearest. Yeah. In uh, presidential elections, politicians don't lead with the brand. Mm -hmm. They lead with what they call a campaign agenda or their game. Mm. And then they follow with the brand. So, for instance, 2008, first-term Senator Obama led with a one-word campaign agenda. One word, change. Yeah. Change, change, change. If people were inspired by and believed in change, then he was really the only choice. He was the change candidate. Uh, he had a different background. He had policies that were very different, et cetera, et cetera. Similarly, in 2016, and again, put aside politics. I don't care about politics. Yeah. 2016, Trump could have led with the brand, Vote mm -hmm. Trump. Mm -hmm. okay? he, he, was, he was a known entity as a real mm -hmm. estate developer and a reality show host, but he didn't. Mm -hmm. He led also with the campaign agenda, four words, Make America Great Again. Mm -hmm. Then he followed with the idea that if, if you believed in and were inspired by that agenda, then he was yeah. the one uh, to basically make America great again. That was his basically yeah. his approach. Yeah. Right. So that's exactly what the best companies do. Mm -hmm. The Amazons, the Apples, the Pelotons, the Googles, uh, as well as, uh, you know, even startup companies, smaller yeah. startup companies such as C-Lip and others. So so. They use a political playbook. The other big difference is they basically are not trying to have slight differences in their in their brands. They're looking for transcendent differences. Right. That's a big difference, right? So they come to market with a transcendent difference. So I'd say those are some of the most important differences. But yeah. in short, it, virtually everything transcenders do yeah. is different than traditionalists. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like that, um, that, that when you were talking about the political um, uh, comparison with transgender brands because it so, sort of struck on belief, right? So I'm from B2B marketing background. And we often say, you know, why do people buy your products when you're doing an analysis of, you know, somebody's marketing and stuff uh, as, a, as a consultant? But now I think what, what it kind of inspired me to think about when you when I was reading the book was you've got to think about why do people believe in you and your products, right? Why do they believe in that thing that you're saying that you're going to change? And I think in my industry, in B2B, in B2B tech predominantly, um, you know, the leaders have always been people that have had a very clear vision that they've, they've, they've talked about, almost like that, as a political campaign. It's not yeah. about features and functions. And then other people come along and they try and do the feature function fight. And, and it, you know, it doesn't, because it, I mean, you're, you know, you're about the same, same um, age group as me. So I can use the Betamax VHS comparison with you, yeah. right? Is that people don't win by features and functions and being the better product. They win by winning hearts and minds, don't they? And that, I think that's, that was important about that political idea. Absolutely. Um, and again, this is one of the key differences. 
between traditionalist branders and transcendent yeah. companies and leaders. Um, the traditionalist basically says, you know what? We have a slightly better product yeah. and we want you to basically buy into yeah. what we're saying yeah. and make a product purchase. They're out to sell you. Mm -hmm. The transcender says, no, no, no. We are here to get you to believe in our agenda, mm -hmm. not buy in. Yeah. We're not trying to sell you. Yeah. We're trying to inspire you. Yeah. And we want to give you, we don't want a product purchase. Mm -hmm. We're not, that's not what we're offering. We're offering a transcendent experience. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is again, night and day because the traditionalist says we're going to do market research. Yeah. Right. We're going to try to find something slightly better and then, you know, promote it, advertise, it. except the transcender says, no, 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 we, we don't, we don't care why. Yeah. We're going to basically, the most important thing is we first are going to do something that we believe in ourselves. Yeah. And then get you to believe in it so that we inspire you and you basically believe in this transcendent experience we're going to offer. So yeah. for instance, Peloton. Yeah. Peloton didn't go out and, and ask stationary bike riders, you know, <laughs> what, what can you do? You know, what can we do to make a stationary home bike better? They didn't yeah. do that. No. Okay? The five co-founders basically said, you know what? We see that there's a need in the marketplace for something that is what they called a world-class home cycling studio. Mm -hmm. That was their agenda. Okay, an agenda is again the game they play. Yeah. So that's what they set out to do. So as a result, they weren't just trying to improve the bike, which of course they dramatically improved the bike. Yeah. Right. But and, and their bike, as we all know, you know, everything from the carbon frame to the flywheel, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. is a dramatically better bike. But they didn't stop there. Okay. That would have been the traditionalist branding approach. Oh, let's mm -hmm. make it slightly better. No, mm -hmm. no. They went way beyond that. They said, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna first of all make this like a home cycling studio experience, what they call the Peloton experience. We're going to bring in these great instructors mm -hmm. right, from around the world. You don't have to go to the local you know, place and only get one choice of one instructor. You can choose any instructor you want from around the world. We're going to bring in the best. Yeah. They made it a social event, right? Yeah. Okay. You can basically ride with other people. You can compete with them. You can high five them, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So they made the experience a social experience. Mm -hmm. And then of course they made it for the home. Yeah. Right. So, so this is an example of a transcender, a Peloton versus yeah. a traditionalist who's basically trying to build a slightly right. better stationary bike. Right. Right. They redefine the category in which they're competing in, basically. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is what I call changing the game. Yeah. Yeah. They changed yeah. the game. They weren't out to differentiate their product. Yeah. They want people to believe in their agenda. Yeah. Which is it initially was this indoor world class indoor cycling studio. Yeah. Uh, experience yeah and and what happens they have created what i call evangelicals yeah it's a poor man toe that is basically refers to these passionate proselytizers that mm -hmm. will go on and tell everybody else about peloton right? <laughs> yeah I mean, if you i don't know if you know anybody yeah yeah yeah, yeah right you, you say the word peloton yeah and these people go off on oh my god how great the bike is and the experience yeah. and on, i you know i have friends yeah, and, yeah. Right? i don't they think you... the bike yeah, I don't think you even you need to mention it. I mean, how do you know you, that somebody's got a Peloton? They will tell you almost immediately. That's right. That's right. In fact, 
this is a classic example of transcender. Yeah. At the last quarterly meeting for Peloton in front of analysts, yeah. they said to the analyst, we're cutting back on advertising promotion. Yeah. And the analyst said, why? And they said, because we have so many of our followers, which mm. some people refer to as the Peloverse, <laughs> what I refer to as the Advangelicals, yeah. that, that are pushing our agenda yeah. and therefore helping us inspire people to buy this bike and, yeah. and also the tread and other you know yeah. uh, equipment pieces they have now, yeah. um, that we don't need as much advertising promotion. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is again much more like a political campaign. If you talk to Peloton users, you would think they could have they could have been the same people that were, mm. you know, supporting Obama in 2008 or Trump yeah. in 2016. The way they feel about the bike mm. is very very similar. Yeah. It's evangelical. Yeah, yeah. Similar to what yeah. political, you know, supporters do. And and as to your point, they would never have had that feeling about another sort of stationary bike. You know, it was no. yeah, exactly. No. It's a different thing. No. It's a lifestyle thing. Right. And these yeah. guys and, and and again, Peloton came up not with a better bike. They came up with a transcendent experience. So this is yeah. a major difference. The traditionalist base will do market research. Yeah. Transcenders do market shaping. Right. They specifically do game changing, as I refer to it. Yeah. And they use that through this campaign agenda, very much like politicians. Yeah. And you mentioned there, I mean, in your there's so many things in your book and so, so many great examples, but you mentioned there one of your A's, the four A's, rather than using the four P's, Advangelical. Yes. What were the what are the other three A's? Yes. Take us through those. Yeah. So most people are familiar with the most marketers are familiar with the four traditional four P's. Yeah. I mean, uh, that four P model, product, place, promotion, yeah. price, uh, dates all the way back to 1960. So it's mm -hmm. over 60 years old. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so what I have done in the book is uh, basically I have what I call the four A's. Mm -hmm. I mentioned one of them, evangelicals. Yeah. The other three include basically access, mm -hmm. advantages, and awareness. So right. by access, I refer to the idea that it's no longer about price in the mm -hmm. transgender world. It's about access. Yeah. It's what values do you bring? So for instance, let's look at Starbucks as an example. Okay. Yeah. Starbucks Okay, their coffee's more expensive, right? Mm -hmm. It's they're the biggest selling coffee company in the world. Yeah. Right? Um, well, why is that? Well, that's because Starbucks originally mm -hmm. started out trying to win by branding. Yeah. Okay? They tried to the first sixteen years they had the Starbucks name, the Starbucks Nordic Siren logo. They had the Starbucks cups, and most importantly, they had the Starbucks branded coffee. Yeah. They were only adding one store per year. They were not winning. Right. Howard Schultz buys them in 1987 and says, we're going to change the game. Mm -hmm. No longer about the brand and coffee. We are going to become the third place between home and work in America. That is why you see these stores that are on one side of the highway on the way to work and then Starbucks on the directly on the other yeah. side of the highway on the way home from work. It's why they're in transportation hubs, corporate centers, yeah. malls, etc. And it's also not only are they strategically and conveniently located, but they're much bigger stores. Okay? Right. Come hang out. You know, grab not a cup of coffee like Dunkin' Donuts, grab a chair. Yeah, yeah. Or a yeah. table or a couch. Yeah. Enjoy our, our nice music, our free Wi-Fi, our pleasant baristas, et cetera, right? Yeah. And so what they did is they are offering, even though their coffee is more expensive, mm -hmm. they basically are offering access to so much more. Yeah. Okay? You can go and stay there for, you know, two, three, four hours. Yeah, okay? yeah. Work, meet some friends. Hang yeah. out, read, whatever you want to do, mm -hmm. right? So it's this access. And when Schultz started that, 
starting in 1987, the next 20 years, they went from adding one store per year yeah. to adding 1,350 stores per year. Wow. That's almost four stores per day. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So then they have now become far and away the biggest coffee yeah. chain in the world with over 31,000 stores across 80 yeah. countries. They basically are three times bigger than their biggest competitor, Dunkin' Donuts. Mm-hmm. And that's despite the fact that Dunkin' Donuts in the United States actually spends twice as much on advertising promotion. Wow. And Starbucks sells three times more coffee. Wow. Okay, so that's an access. Yeah. Uh, Google's another example of access. You yeah. Know, much access to the world's information. Yeah. So that's the second A. Third A is advantages. Classic mm-hmm. to me, the... You, you don't want to have one or two advantages. That's what mm-hmm. traditionalists do. They'll say, you know what? Our um, our pickup truck has a bigger towing capacity. Yeah. Or it has a larger flatbed. Yeah. Right? So what? <laughs> That's what Tesla, does. Yeah. Tesla says, you know what? We're going to have multiple advantages. I call them the S advantages because Tesla has so many advantages for their yeah. cars, right? Yeah. So S advantages, starting with savings, right? Yeah. Saving the planet. Yeah. You know, by saving, yeah. obviously, gas. Yeah, they save on money. These cars actually have become less expensive over time. Yeah, they have insurance savings. Yeah, they have another S, which is the software download. So yeah. you know, some people feel like they get a new car every yeah. each morning. Yeah, right? they have their sales model is totally different. Yeah, so it's basically mostly an internet yeah. based. Five minutes or less, you could buy their car. Yeah. Charging stations, the safety yeah. of the cars, on and on yeah. and on. So they yeah. have so many advantages. That's typical of transcender companies. Yeah. It's not one or two slight advantages. They have multiple transcendent advantages. Yeah. The fourth A is awareness. Mm-hmm. You, you know, in any politician, any political election, you need to have and own the airwaves. Mm-hmm. And we all know Trump owned the airwaves in 2016. Yeah. Okay? Despite the fact that he spent one third as much per vote as Hillary Clinton. Wow. Okay? Yeah. He actually, you know, and he did, he used social media and, yeah. and Obama had used it, but Trump took it to a whole new level. Yeah. Right. He on the airwaves. At one point in time, he had 50 times the mention in online and offline in media as Hillary Clinton. He wow. owned the airwaves. So this is yeah. also what you see with the best. Yeah. Yeah. Companies, yeah. Okay? They own the airwaves. I mean, you know, if you look at companies like, you know, a Geico. Yeah. Okay. Geico, for those who are not familiar, is a car insurance company in the U.S. that basically was in fifth place in 1999. They said, you know, we have to change the game because State State Farm was the biggest at the time, and they had the largest insurance sales network, which is why they were winning. Mm-hmm. Geico said, we can't match this sales professional network. We have to change the game. We're going to start advertising, which at the time actually was not done in insurance. Okay. The belief was that insurance was not something you could advertise because you couldn't see it, couldn't feel it, couldn't touch it. Geico said, you know, we're going to start advertising. And they basically had a forward campaign agenda, which they still use today. 15 minutes, 15 percent. Yeah. 15 minutes, 15 percent. 15 minutes can save you 15 percent or more on car insurance. Yeah. Well, everybody knows that. Why? Because because Geico has been telling us that. for (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And, And, you know, it's so easy. Caveman can do it. Yeah. Right. And they broke all the rules of traditional mm-hmm. advertising. Mm-hmm. They had multiple mascots. They had the gecko. They yeah. had the caveman, Pinocchio, yeah. pig, yeah. celebrities. They ran totally different commercials mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. 
that's again breaks all the rules, which is yeah. typical transcenders. Transcenders create the rules. Yeah. They don't follow the rules. Yeah. They create the rules and force their competitors to follow their rules. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's why you see all these car insurance companies in the United States have spent an enormous amount of money trying to to do all this advertising to keep up with Geico yeah. and they can't even come close. Yeah, yeah. Geico's now jumped to number two. They're breathing down State Farm's neck despite the fact that they don't offer nearly as many types of insurance as State Farm. Right, right. But again, that's awareness. Everybody yeah. knows about the Geico. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, a couple of them there, I mean, Tesla definitely has the evangelicals as well. And, um, so, you know, they tick more of the A boxes, don't they, those great brands. And like you say, Geico have been incredibly persistent with that message. And I think as marketers, we tend to come in, especially as CMOs, we come in and we want to change everything. Whereas, you know, if you if you just keep going and, and you, you find something right, you should persist with it. And I think we don't do you enough know, of that. Ian, you hit on one of the most important points for our podcast today. The traditionalist brander says, and particularly because they've been encouraged by the advertising agency, yeah. you know, change your messages. Yeah. Change them every, whether it's three months, six months, three years, yeah. whatever it is. Constantly be changing your message because yeah. you don't want to say the same thing. You'll get <laughs> what they call brand fatigue. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. They're wrong. Yeah. Here's why. Turns out that the best companies, the transcender companies, basically come up with a campaign agenda and keep repeating it over and over and over again. Yeah. Like make America great again, make America great again, make America great yeah, again, yeah. or change, 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 right? Yeah. You don't change it. In fact, the best companies keep it going for years. Yeah. Everybody knows Nike's campaign agenda. It's three words. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah. They've had the exact same campaign agenda. Mm-hmm. Since 1987. Wow. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Geico's had it for over 20 years. Yeah. This is a fundamental difference between branding companies and transcending companies. Transcenders mm -hmm. have one agenda they keep using. As long as they're winning with that agenda, yeah. they keep using it. They don't have multiple messages. They also don't customize different messages to different market segments. Mm -hmm. Look. I was trained at Wharton School of Business in marketing. Oh, yeah. you got to have different messages and you segment yeah. the marketplace and this, that. That's not what politicians do. No. Politicians have one overarching agenda for everybody. Yeah. So, and they keep with it as long as it's winning. Yeah. Let me ask you this. In 2008 or 2016, do you remember what Hillary Clinton's campaign agenda was? Well, no. <laughs> I think we, yeah. we were there then. So, yeah. So, I was exposed exactly. to a lot of that and, stuff in the US. That's right. You don't know it because she had... Yeah. In 2016, for instance, yeah. she had seven different campaign slogans. Wow. Every three months, she was changing her campaign slogan. Mm -hmm. So as a result, nobody really remembers what she stood yeah. for. What, yeah. what is her campaign agenda? And so if you don't know what her campaign agenda is, then you're not going to be inspired. Yeah. Then you're not ultimately going to vote for her. Right. Right. So this is why I work with my clients to force them <laughs> a campaign agenda that is five words or fewer. Yeah. And let me explain why five words or fewer. Yeah. It's because that's all we can remember. <laughs> right. We, we used to remember seven plus or minus two chunks of information or digits in our short-term memory. Yeah. We've lost 43% of our short-term memory over the last 20 years. Is that true? We've down, we're now down to remembering four plus or minus one chunk of information or digits. Mm -hmm. So if you want anybody to remember your campaign agenda, which is the single most important thing any trade center yeah. company does, it has to be five words or fewer. I tell my clients, yeah. ideally four words or fewer. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
So that's why these campaign agendas such as Apple think different. Mm-hmm. Nike, just do it. Yeah. Apple, excuse me, Amazon, customer obsession, two words. Yeah. And then, of course, we've talked about Starbucks, the third place. They're all yeah. four words or fewer. God. I just realized the time. There's so much I want to ask you because the book, and, and I think these campaign things, also, um, they don't just create evangelicals in your customer base, but with your employees as well. I mean, you then have this sort of standard to bear, don't you, that you take to market as a group because they're easy for everybody to remember and, and your employees get engaged as well, especially these larger organizations. That's where your influencers are. That's where your evangelicals are. And evangelicals are. Yes. <laughs> you, you, again, and uh, you're, you're spot on with some of these uh, questions and insights because you just mentioned why another reason why transcenders win versus traditionalist companies and that is alignment. Yeah. Okay. They are aligned to that agenda. Yeah. Everybody at Starbucks from the CEO to the barista, to the person cleaning the bathroom knows it's all about the third place. They, every single day, they know exactly what they're there to do. Right. Amazon, every single employee from Jeff Bezos down to the person that's delivering your packages today, Ian, knows it's all about customer obsession, customer obsession, customer obsession. Mm-hmm. Nike has said, their executives have said, just do it became a rallying cry for the company. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody aligned behind it. Yeah. And a lot of people aren't aware. When they came up with that agenda in 1987 to change the game, they were actually losing big time to Reebok. Wow. Yeah. Reebok had 45% North American sports apparel market share. Mm-hmm. Nike only had 18%. Right. Because Reebok was the sort of cool brand, right? Yeah. And Nike team, the Nike team got together with their advertising agency and said, we got to change the game. Yeah. And that's when they came up with just do it. The idea, it's not just about athletes, professional amateur athletes, and you trying to be like them. No, no. You be yourself. Just yeah. do it. You yeah, know, yeah. just get off the couch. Whether you're an 80-year-old that's going to do a marathon or a 15-year-old girl that's playing field hockey or anything in between, just do it. Yeah. Okay. So this is really this alignment concept so gives these companies, again, a transcendent advantage, mm-hmm. not a competitive advantage. Competitive advantages are small. Yeah. Give these companies a transcendent advantage. Yeah. Now, that's excellent. I'm going to get to my last question now, but just to round off on the book, it's called Brands Don't Win, How Transcenders Change the Game. I, I read a lot of marketing books, as you can see behind me. I know we're not on video, but you can see I've got a lot. And uh, I very much enjoyed it, and I'd recommend other people take a look. So I'm going to get to the final question as we go completely off topic. We have a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO Swim Pool, our pool to hell for all the snake oil, BS, and overhyped trends that plague this marketing craft we love. What would you throw into the Rockstar CMO Pool, Stan? Very simple. <laughs> yeah. Do not be brandwashed. <laughs> do not be brainwashed. Yeah. Don't think that the only way to compete mm-hmm. is with a 3,000 year old approach because branding has been around since the ancient Greek markets, the yeah. Agora in Athens, where people are saying, hey, our pottery is with our, you know, our name on it is better than your pottery, the same way we do it today. Yeah. You know, it's our pans are better than your pans, really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's 3,000 years old, it's antiquated, it's ineffective. And basically, the idea that people have that branding is the only way to compete, mm-hmm. that's, not, that's not rational. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever, Ian. Right. Okay? I mean, you and I can go on right now, and we can pick from literally 
thousands of different shoes online. Yeah. And we have all sorts yeah, of choices yeah. for shoes. Yeah. You go in an ice cream store, you can pick from any number of flavors and textures and yeah. fillings and yeah. et cetera. And yet we only have one way to compete. Everybody yeah. in the world has to play brand checkers. Yeah. So what I would tell people is don't be brand washed. Break out of the brand jail. Shake off the brand cuffs. Mm-hmm. If you want to win, then transcend. I love it. I love it. Thank you very much, Stan. And when the listeners spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? The best place would be at the website brandsdon'twin.com, mm-hmm. where they can learn more about the book. They can take yeah. a quiz. Are you a traditionalist or a transcender? And they can also purchase the book as well. I love it. Thank you very much, Stan. And I will love to have you back on because I had another about four or five questions I never got to there. Um, uh, But enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much for being on the show, Stan. Thank you, Ian, for having me. I appreciate it. Cheers, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, Dan. We continued our chat after the recording. A fascinating man. Great conversation. And you can find him and his book at brandsdon'twin.com. And I'll include that link and his contact information in the show notes. Right. It's Friday evening. Time for our first trip of 2022 to the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar to meet my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, to be transported away with a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. I'm going to welcome you. Happy New Year. I'm not going to say what are you drinking. Happy New Year, Robert. Welcome back to the Rockstar CMO. <laughs> well, Happy New Year. I, I see you have festooned the bar with all kinds of wonderful noisemakers and New Year revelry. I think that's just wonderful. So um, The crowd just arrived can, because if, you're here, Robert. Well, that's true as well, of course. Um, but if we can, you know, make ourselves heard above the din of the the parties that are going on here in the bar. Um, Happy New Year to you, my friend. It's it's uh, it's nice to be here in 2022, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I think I think all I think it's going to be a great year ahead of us. I really do. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm. I think everybody's feeling positive about 2022. So I think uh, we should join with that as well. And I and um, I will plug your uh predictions uh podcast that you did on this old marketing some really good stuff in there as well about some positivity for this year so i think that's great Robert. but in the meantime my friend what are you drinking ah well you know it is uh it is a new year mm-hmm. and uh, you know uh, let's just put it this way over the holiday break i discovered many new <laughs> cocktails um <laughs> it was it was uh it was nice to sort of be able to go on a bit of a tour as it were and not mm-hmm. have any worries about actually having to be productive or anything but yep. what i do have for you tonight is something fun um it's a very wonderful sort of there's there's you know i wanted to bring in a little bit of uh british sentiment as well as um the idea of uh, what we talk a lot about in terms of the cocktails we have, as well as the fact that it is the winter and the dead of winter here. Um, yeah. And so I have what I'm calling the martini. 
um, <laughs> which is so it's it's M A R T E A N I. So it's the Martini, um, uh-huh. which I did a little experimentation over the break and infused uh, one of my favorite gins with Earl Grey tea. Um, which of course, as you know, if you're a fan of Earl Grey tea is got that bit of anise, uh, taste to it adds a little bit of bitterness to the gin, which is just right. And then you mix that in with a little lemon juice, um, simple syrup. If you like, you know, I'm not a big fan of the added sugars, but Mm -hmm. if you want a little simple syrup in there to make things a little sweeter, fine. Um, and, uh, but, but basically just a martini. Um, that is made with a little bit of lemon juice and a little bit of uh, tea-infused gin. Uh, and adding, I, I liked, where I like to add the sugar is just put a little bit of a sugar rim around it, you know. So mm-hmm. whether you use a birch sugar or a stevia or actual sugar, doesn't matter. Just that gives it the little bit of sweetness that it that it needs. I love that. And and, and that's that, that um, particular glass of liquor sounds more English than I am. <laughs> Yes, I can't believe I haven't tried one of those. <laughs> it is about as English as it gets, is right there. Earl Grey gin, and you know, yes. and and a nice gin. Find yourself a nice gin, and you have yeah. found yourself a nice gin typically. Um, yeah. And a, a good English gin would be good for that. And then, of course, you know, the little lemon goes with your tea as well as the martini. And then a bit of a sugar rim for the sweetness, which you could, of course, have at high tea um, instead of regular tea. And away you go. It sounds fantastic. I did actually try to make one of your cocktails, um, the, the, the whiskey sour that you did a few weeks ago. Ah, I posted yes. it on Facebook. I love a whiskey sour. Then I was like, wow, this is sour. And I, and because we discussed the fact that we're not that keen on the simple syrup or the, the sugars, I'd completely missed out any of the sugar. So it's like, whoa. <laughs> I think that's I, right I yeah no you definitely eye. need to add a little sweetness to it it's just i'm not i i don't like yeah. simple syrup it's just it's it's one of those things yeah. that it's a personal choice for me i just don't yeah. like it because it's so you know right. i just yeah, it, it gives a bad mouth feel for me all right well i'm gonna give a i'm gonna try making the drink that you've suggested slightly different uh bar this year for 2022 ah. you'll be pleased to hear i've completely restocked it up as you know because i made your favorite drink in our last show together, uh, which was, uh, uh, well, we'll reveal it in a moment. So I'm, you said you put some gin in that, right? Uh, yes, quite a bit of gin, yes. actually. Yes. All right. So the I've, more, the better, I find. The more, the better. Ooh. There we go. I've put some gin. I've put some gin in a cup with some ice. Might give a clue as to. Might give a clue as to what I'm. A shaker, actually. Uh, but I'm not. Gonna yes, shake it. I was going to say a <laughs> cup. Well, a cup can be a shaker, but you know. <laughs> now I don't. Weirdly enough, normally sitting on my desktop all the time is a cup of tea, but I don't happen to have any tea on my desk at the moment. But I do have. Do you remember I had to buy a whole bottle of vermouth? <laughs> I, yes, <laughs> you still have that. You still have that bottle around. Well, it looks like your your bar is now fully stocked. You, I tried you to have um, tonic vermouth and gin. You, yeah. you're, the I, options before you are just absolutely yes. wide open. So I'm going to splosh a little bit of that in there. I remember your father saying that you should just introduce it, like just wave it around. Yeah, not you really wave the bottle of vermouth over the gin and say that's right. enough. All right. Well, I'm. Um, as you can hear, stirring that to make it really, really cold with the ice. And I shall get my sieve thing. So it's a whole different thing. Making a gin and tonic is way easier than this. Hang on. 
pour that into my cocktail glass. And I, sir, have also made a martini. Let me try that. Oh, wow. <laughs> Plenty of gin. Um, what, <laughs> and what are we calling that? Uh, we're, I'm calling it the martini. Yeah. Mm. That is very good. I can't quite pick up the tea in it, though. So, but uh, no, if, if you don't put any in, it'd be hard to pick it up. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> true. that is true. And you for 2022, I think I could drink these every week. <laughs> I, I think you probably will. <laughs> and uh, where will we be sipping these classy martinis, my friend? Well, you know, not to put too fine a point on it, but I think. Let's get this locale out of the way as the first mm -hmm. one of the new year because it's appropriate given the state of the world and where we are with the pandemic and everything. I think mm -hmm. this one you and I are going to share over a Zoom. Um, and <laughs> I think we'll be home. I'll be home in my home and you'll be home in your home and mm -hmm. we will enjoy this wonderful cocktail virtually as we look at each other and have a nice discussion in front of our, maybe we'll put up a virtual fireplace or something to make things cozy. But yeah, That's it's amazing. a, it's, 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 it's a little crazy right now and I'm hopeful that it'll die down, but I think for the moment we'll, we'll stay remote. Right. Well, I think it's interesting because I started this as a lockdown project and, uh, and the idea was us to transport ourselves away from the Zoom. But you're right. It's an inevitability at the moment. And so, yes, we will have these over Zoom. Uh, what I'm concerned about is, is whether I'm drinking first thing in the morning <laughs> or you're drinking first thing in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know. It's it's five o'clock somewhere, as the song says. It is indeed. It is indeed. Or if you've got completely loose morals like we English do, we always say it's noon. Oh, yes, somewhere. my morals are indeed loose. Yeah, there's, yes, I am nothing but pliable. Absolutely. All right. So we're having a good old chat on Zoom. And this sounds uh, brutally familiar. Um, so what would we be discussing? My friend. Well, this, you know, it's interesting because one mm -hmm. of the things that came up just before the break was yes. I was having many a discussion. You know, we talked on this show about budgets yeah. and how the fourth quarter, everybody sort of realizes that the new year is coming up and everything needs yeah. to change. And so yeah. they're racing, trying to finish budgets and all those kinds of things. But the other thing that I've also found is that the new year also breeds new strategies. And one of the things that I have really seen come out of the uh, certainly come out of the pandemic and certainly come out of, of the, the acceleration of disruptions over the last two years has been this need or want to really get, you know, your, you know, what together when it comes to content strategy. And so I was talking with many marketing leaders, many, you know, a handful, mm -hmm. you know, half yeah. a dozen, let's say, uh, about 2022 and their plans for doing enterprise, you know, an enterprise content strategy. And with no exceptions, everybody went, it seems overwhelming. And, uh, and the interesting thing is, is that when we start getting into it, and, and I had one lengthy conversation with one VP of marketing in particular, and, you know, today's larger organizations, we know that they're, you know, it's messy, right? You know, it is just a messy 
especially in marketing and sales and PR and comms and all those places. It's conflicting agendas and values and priorities and goals. And, you know, it's it's a wonder that we actually get product out the door in most businesses, right? <laughs> so, you know, and and so the, the, the fascinating part of it is, is that when we start thinking about this idea of an enterprise content strategy, at the heart of that is one simple idea, which is we're trying to get organized about the way we communicate. And the internal communication is what's really important there. I mean, I've been quoted as saying, and, and it's, you know, it's bumper sticker quote for sure, but it's, you know, 90% of any content strategy has nothing to do with the content that you yeah. create. It's all about the communication you have with your internal teams. And this one marketing leader was looking to launch this enterprise content strategy. And the reason that she wanted to launch this content strategy was simply because there was a problem that we've heard all too often, which is different parts of the organization, marketing, sales, customer service, brand, PR, comms, none of them wanted to own a particular segment of the customer's experience. And in this case, it was the upselling of new products into the existing customer base. You know, in other words, the customer account team thought it was the marketing problem. Marketing thought it was a customer yeah. account team problem. Sales didn't care. They just wanted content done for those customers because they weren't going to do it. And mm -hmm. so, you know, what would ring throughout the halls was, you know, it's a problem and customers were getting bad information, wrong information, not, you know, conflicting branding messages, all of those different kinds of things. So everybody was upset about it but nobody was really doing anything about it. And interestingly, when they started to dig into that one specific problem, they started, of course, to realize that all of the areas were badly disintegrated, right? Not, you know, not integrated at all in terms of the way they were handling content. So her idea was we should solve it all. Mm. And the challenge is, and one of the things that I talked to her about, and this is where we can start our conversation is, when we think about this, the easiest thing that initially, and this was her you know, take on this as well, is that so because it feels overwhelming, we often go, okay, well, let's look at content and let's look at its life cycle. Create, manage, you know, uh, activate, measure in the simplest sense. And we think, great, let's get company-wide an organization around create or let's get company-wide an organization around activation or management. And that's not the easiest way to go. And what I was trying to tell her was, <laughs> instead of looking at it that way, which is a very team-based approach, right? Looking at, oh, let's organize and get process in the create team or the, you yeah. know, the channel managers or the marketing teams who are promoting that content or whatever it is and really get solidified there across all of the customer's journey, which feels overwhelming. Let's instead look at the entire life cycle, but at only one specific part of that customer's journey. And in their case, the cross-sell and upsell to existing customers. Yeah. And what that does is that it does a couple of things. One is, is that it, yes, it does, it is siloed. And uh, you know, and, and it does look that way initially, but what you're doing is you're slowly removing dysfunction from the organization. In other words, you can start there and then you can go up or down based on, uh, you know, what you want to do and start to expand across the customer's journey. So instead of looking at it in that sort of create, manage, activate, measure, et cetera, 
siloed way, look at it from the customer's journey and solve the entire life cycle and start to expand from there. And that can feel a little less overwhelming and it can actually manage your scalability a lot better. And yeah. she felt a lot better about it and has launched since launched an initiative to do exactly that. Yeah, and I, I, that sounds great because also it's very targeted on a commercial objective as well, isn't it? And, and so that gets, that gets a lot of buy-in and attention from around the business. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it helps because it, it's, it's immediately, uh, it, it immediately says Tangible. there needs to be content for that yeah. part of the journey. Yeah. And someone needs to actually manage and people need to, you know, whether you do it in a racy type of operation or how you assign responsibility for it, there yeah. needs to be names and boxes of people who actually do that. But you think yeah. about the entire process because let's face it, the create part of content could be much different and probably is much different at the brand level than it is at the customer service level, right? So yeah. Yeah. let's acknowledge that those those differences are probably there. And instead yeah. of trying to fit everything into one square peg to say, no, 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 this is the way the create process should be everywhere. Mm -hmm. No, let's acknowledge that the create process at different parts of the journey is probably different, but let's solve for each individual area of the customer's journey and acknowledge those differences and just, you know, and instead of having no process, yeah, okay, is it suboptimal to have 12 processes? Probably, but it's better than having no processes and it yeah. might be easier to actually implement. But do you think also what she's finding is because it's tangible and easy to buy and everybody can get engaged and they can design that process, that, that actually becomes the framework for the other parts of the customer journey and they're just tweaking rather than creating new process. So at least they've made a start, right? Whereas I think sometimes when you're trying to build process for a broader thing, you're, and it's, it doesn't matter what the project is, right? You're, you're trying to manage all these different edge cases that come in and what ifs and, and all that kind of stuff. Whereas if you're a bit more focused, then you're just adapting and that's a bit easier. That's right. That's that's yeah. the idea is that it is, it is an easier way to manage things um, ultimately and start to put in some level of new governance, new process, yeah. new content strategy, because what you're doing then is you're looking at one. Now it there, it does come with its own sort of set of complications as well, which is it's never as clean as that, right? It's never, yeah. you know, it's never as clean as like, you can only focus on this mm -hmm. particular channel for this particular part of the customer's experience. Cause it's usually cross channel and it's usually, yeah. you know, we're talking about the email, you know, so you do have to get multiple teams involved in all those kinds of yeah. things but it's manageable and the idea here is is that you're actually acknowledging that you're going to leave some level of dysfunction as you go and test this area which quite frankly because it's hurting so much you know it's probably the mm -hmm. the, the 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 worst part of what you're doing is you know you can't you can't mess it up right so you go yeah. in there and you work out all the bugs etc cetera, etc cetera. so that's the yeah, that's yeah. the idea yeah and so when you say you can't mess it up there you're saying that they'd already identified a pain um, in terms of the the current content for existing customers and retention and all that kind of stuff already poor. So if they ever run at it and they don't quite hit where they, they the enemy being the, 
the, the enemy of perfect, the enemy of good being perfect, or whatever. <laughs> I don't know why I've got that wrong. It's probably this Lemon Martini, but um, the um, but they they at least they improve it because they know there's a there's a, there's a problem there, right? And they've got that head, they've got that space then to not be perfect and hit it out of the park immediately. But they've made an improvement. Is that what you're saying about that? That's exactly it. That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and did they choose that? Um, I mean, if, if we were giving advice to other people taking this approach, is that what you would do? Is it we work with the stakeholders and see where the pain is and just go for that? So for some people, it might be top of funnel content. Other people, it might be retention content, etc. It, it's it's definitely, you know, so it, it one of the things is I want to make sure that we don't, you know, you mm -hmm. know, one of the ways I've, 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 I've talked about this is to say you might not need a unified content approach yet and the right. yet is important yeah, there yeah. right so yeah if we can tackle the whole thing yeah let's tackle yeah. the whole thing but in a world where you know in this particular case you had basically a lot of teams saying you know it's not my problem it's not my problem mm. it's not my problem and trying to solve it across the entire enterprise can be just too much well, solve it in one place then first. It's okay, right? That's okay. Yeah. It's not that we don't want to try for the unified content approach if we can get there, but you know, especially if our business is sized appropriately or the teams are small or whatever, but in a complex organization, it's almost never that easy. And trying to solve it everywhere can basically be a very, you know, it's, it's, it's really all about sort of deciding how much you want to bite off yeah. and chew how much yeah. change you want to try and implement and if we're going to get anywhere it's like you know in one of the i guess the metaphor that i that i go for here is in in terms of function and dysfunction in in terms of trying to make the entire enterprise functional i think it's mm. sometimes easier to look at the entire enterprise and just remove bits of dysfunction until you've you know until all yeah. that remains is the yeah. dysfunction that you can live with yeah but it's but you're building you're doing that's like base i mean there's so many analogies in like base camp to when you're climbing or or um you know the old time management um analogy of eating an elephant you know you wouldn't want to do that in one sitting it you know, yeah, exactly still, right you you're know, still yeah. yeah you're still working towards a um, holistic content strategy for the business it's just you're chunking it up and that might be imperfect but it, it's gonna it's gonna improve things right I yeah, think that's, that's exactly yeah. right. Cool. Excellent. Well, thank you for that, uh, Robert. And for thoughts like this, I know that you've been tinkering with this particular, uh, what do you call it? The hovel? I don't like to call it your hovel on the internet, but where can <laughs> other people find these thoughts? You can on the newly tweaked contentadvisory.net. Yes, I did spend some time over the holidays to tweak our little website. Nice. Um, and it's I'm, I'm still in the process of it, actually. So they're, yes. you know, formatting changes, a little making it a little more mobile friendly and all those kinds of things. So but yeah, contentadvisory.net is. Uh, excellent. I'll be sure to check it out and I recommend it. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you with it? They will find me on uh, the usual suspects. We've got LinkedIn, we've got Twitter. Those are two places I spend most of my time. And then um, also my newly tweaked little uh, YouTube channel as well. Oh, so. ah, I must check that out. Well, that's excellent. Thank mm -hmm. you very much, Robert. And will I see you in the bar next week?
You will indeed, of course. Fantastic. Let's hope it's a bit quieter next week. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you indeed. then, my friend. Yes. Thank you, Robert. There you go. A tip to get our strategic act together. Fabulous advice. And if you want to learn more about Robert and you missed episode 94 from a couple of weeks ago, have a listen. <laughs> that was a fun conversation. So that's a wrap on episode 96 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast, part of the Marketing Podcast Network. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Jeff, Stan and Robert for sharing their insight. Please follow them, say hello and check out all the links we discussed in the show notes, which you can find on your favourite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.fm, where you can also find all our previous episodes. So, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? Let us know. We are Rockstar CMO on LinkedIn or Twitter. And please drop a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. A familiar lineup next week as Jeff will be back. Rebecca Beesman, CMO at Reputation, returns for a chat about corporate social responsibility. And Robert is back in the bar. Looking forward to that. Until then, stay safe and I hope you'll again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.